A few years ago, a Focus staff member asked Alexis if she had any prayer needs. And at that time, my heart was so tender, and I really was feeling like I wanted to give up on this marriage. So I just told him quite straightly, like, I need help. We need help. Our marriage is very difficult, and would you pray for our marriage? And he did. She also found help on the radio. Focus on the family saved my life. It just was the lifeline that I needed every single day to keep going and keep hoping. I'm Jim Daly. Help us save more families every month by calling 800-A-FAMILY or donate at focusonthefamily.com slash family. Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. It's a daily decision if you want to be in love that day. And we have this language that talks about it happening to us, like it's an outside force and we fall into love, as opposed to making a conscious decision to say, I want to love you, I'm going to love you, and I'm choosing to love you. Dr. Ron Welch is our guest today on Focus on the Family, and he and his wife Jan have some simple advice for your marriage that can really uh, be implemented today. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Hey, John, uh, if you think about it, every day of our lives is made up of lots of little decisions. Uh, we decide whether or not to hit snooze button. Did you do that this morning? I wanted to. <laughs> or uh, perhaps uh, what shoes to wear. Hmm. I'm pretty set on one pair. I noticed that. <laughs> I make it simple. Um, maybe what to put in your coffee. Some days I put cream and sweetener, and some days it's just straight black. I don't know about you. I think black, you're straight black straight kind black of coffee, coffee yeah. drinker. But researchers say that on average, a person makes about 35,000 decisions a day. No wonder I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said this to Gene and to Troy last night, and they said, yeah, I could see that. I said, tell me whether to get up right now, whether to scratch my head, whether to walk across the room. When you put it in that context, yeah, I could see how we would reach 35,000 decisions a day. But here's something we often don't think of as a decision loving our spouse. Uh, Hollywood often paints love as this, you know, huge romantic you hear the themes, the big build up, the big yes. music and the, you know, the theater release, diamond rings, all of that. But as we're going to learn from our guests today, it's actually the small, simple choices that can transform your marriage in a big way. And that's good news. Uh, Dr. Ron Welch is a clinical psychologist. He specializes in marriage and family. His wife, Jan, is a teacher. She works with at-risk children, and they've been married for over 30 years, have two grown boys and two grandkids. Uh, Dr. Welch has written a book called 10 Choices Successful Couples Make, The Secret to Love That Lasts a Lifetime. And we have that, of course, at our website, focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Ron and Jan, welcome to Focus on the Family. Thank you so much for having us. We're glad to be here. Okay, well, let's get into it. You've been married over 30 years now. I understand you uh, decided to get engaged only four days after meeting each other. Wow. Okay, everybody's going, what? <laughs> Honey, did you hear that? Four days? What's that all about? I think this is my wife's story to tell. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice punt. I'm going to punt this yeah. one right over to my wife. Um, Ron and I were at Denver University together, and I realized he was such an intelligent, kind person. And we ended up um, doing a project together, and we were able to um, 
he asked me out and um <laughs> he was uh, when we left he wanted to borrow a quarter because he was going to move someone from our date to another date he was going to make a phone call make a phone yeah, and call I don't look very good in this part of the story yeah. just so you know <laughs> and thank goodness the line was busy because i asked him what it was and he says well explain that and i was like uh, I like movies, and we were never apart. Oh. So we <laughs> talked really all fast, night. Condensed story there. I had to move one date around to make room for another, yeah, so it like didn't it. turn out to work very well. But the uh, end result is we spent a lot of date. time together over the next few days. And after three or four days of spending time together, we looked at each other and said, "Should we go look at rings?" And we're like, "Yeah, let's do that." Mm-hmm. Okay, so then you get married. Yep. Mm-hmm. How did that go in the early days of your marriage? <laughs> we had to get to know each other after we got married. Right. Um, I would think there were some problems. Not the, uh, not the best plan. Uh, as you hear our story unfold a bit, uh, you'll find that one of the reasons that I wanted this to happen so quickly was that I was a really insecure guy. Um, I needed to control things and be in charge. And I really believed at that point that if she really got to know me, then what would happen is she probably wouldn't want to marry me. Mm. Uh. And so I wanted it to happen quickly and soon so that God could move things along. Um, because I was pretty insecure about how that would work otherwise. So did that come out pretty quickly then? Uh, what yes. I would describe as yes. a marriage trap in some ways. Not to, I'm not trying to be unkind, obviously, Ron. No, but on our... when you try to compensate for those insecurities, it's kind of like get the girl and then we'll deal with my issues later. Right, and to the point of the controlling, I couldn't leave the apartment without him. And if I chose to do something, I would kind of pay for it because it would be an inquisition he would keep asking questions what did oh, you do tough. who did you see yeah. and it got to the point it's not worth that yeah and, and in fact in your book you talk about the difference between falling in love and jumping in love what's your distinction you know that's where these choices come in right jim it's a daily decision if you want to be in love that day and we have this language that talks about it happening to us like it's an outside force and we fall into love as opposed to making a conscious decision to say, I want to love you, I'm going to love you, and I'm choosing to love you. Yeah. And in my case, after a year, she told me, this is not working. And in God's perfect world, I would have been healed, everything would have been great. In reality, it was probably eight or ten years. Um, and there's, <laughs> there's nothing I regret more in my life than the fact that she had to help me become the man God wanted me to be. Well, and the irony is that is in part what marriage is about. Um, Unfortunately, in the modern world, we've lost that understanding of completing each other. And we'll unfold some of that as we move through the story. Uh, You also mentioned something called choice theory. Uh, Mm -hmm. You say that it can bring hope to any marriage. So walk us through choice theory. You know, I think there's a level of expectation people have, and there's a level of understanding that makes them think this is just the way it is, and it's the way it has to be, and there's not much more we can do about it. Choice theory says that in every single situation, you have opportunities. God created us to be a certain kind of person in his image, and we can act in that image if we so choose, or we can act not to. And so what I've done in my understanding of choice theory is to apply that to how couples make choices. Whether it's getting up in the morning and deciding today I'm going to honor my wife, I'm going to look at her in the face and tell her how beautiful she is, or I'm going to be someone who will honor and respect and love my wife or my husband in a way that is more about me than about them. Yeah. And I think that's where it comes from. Yeah, I th- and in one of those, you mentioned it's a choice to be unselfish. And I think when you look at marriages and you um, you know embrace a Christian perspective you're trying to walk more like Christ mm-hmm. this is exactly I think why he created marriage the way he did mm-hmm. because we're attracted to opposites mm-hmm. that typically can rub you the wrong way over time 
And what you've got to learn to do is to choose to be unselfish because we're selfish creatures because of our sin nature, right? I think there's two kinds of models of marriage in the world right now. One is the me kind of marriage and one's the us marriage. The me marriage really focuses on this idea that I'm in this for me. As soon as you don't meet my needs, I'm out. And you see divorces, you see people who have affairs, because it's about me, and if I don't get my needs met, I'm going to go find someone who does. Let me uh, ask you this question about the early years of your marriage, Mm -hmm. the first eight to ten years then. Uh, Jan, you had to be unselfish to recognize Ron's controlling, Mm -hmm. you know, temperament. How did you survive that? Well, my father was very similar in a way of a control. And so it was very easy for me because I wanted him to be happy and I would sacrifice everything that so he could be happy and that things would be good. And I really wish I'd had someone tell me that you have to hold them accountable. Well, right. Easy isn't necessarily healthy. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's a big point. So that's what you're saying is that I... In essence, I I went with it it and Mm -hmm. you allowed it to happen. And that's what happens, I think, in a lot of those things because for your insecurities, whatever reason, you hold back some of the things you might have said to the person and you just kind of keep doing that. And so it's not always beneficial in your marriage. So Mm -hmm. when controlling, you also have a part in allowing that, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I appreciate that honesty, really, both of you to talk about those first eight to 10 years. I think for a couple that may be in that situation right now, they're still at year four. Let's just imagine mm-hmm. that couple who's listening. Uh, how can we cut their pain in half? They don't have to go eight to 10 years. What were some of those things in those uh, years six, seven, and eight that begin to change things for you? What was it that woke you both up to this unhealthiness? So I remember the day God slapped me across the face with this. Mm-hmm. Um, my sons were starting to talk to my wife in that same manner. Why aren't you where you're supposed to be? Why didn't you get me here? You need to do this for me. And I gave him the dad lecture, right? Don't talk to your mom that way. And I remember God just slapping me across the head and saying, who do you think is teaching them to disrespect women? Mm. I've taught you a different way to value your wife. Mm. Why are you doing this? And there was this inconsistency between my faith and between what I was. And I think that's that couple you're talking about in year four I think there's an inconsistency between, I love you, I'm going to church with you, I'm telling you I I value you, but when we get home, I'm telling you what you need to do for me. Let me give you a quick example. I would ask Jan um, something like, where do you want to go for dinner? I really wasn't asking her, where would you like to go for dinner? I wanted to start a conversation about barbecue. Right. I mean, so you actually knew. Yeah. See, I'm the guy that really doesn't know where I want to go for dinner. (laughs) I don't. I could care less. And and I wish I could portray myself in a better light, but I can't because it wasn't just Jan I did that with. That was how I worked my life. What's the root of that? Insecurity. It's like I'm so scared about things getting out of control that as long as I can control everything, it'll be okay. And I fight that every day, trying to say if I trust God and God has my back. Why am I so anxious and worried? Where did that come from? My mom, God bless her, she was an anxious woman, but she was kind of like the glass wasn't just half empty. It was draining rapidly, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. She could look around the corner and see all the things that could go wrong. So fear and anxiety. Yeah, and I got really good at trying to do enough to yeah. maybe prevent those bad things. Yeah, I mean, that, that, there usually is that you know, early childhood development yeah. issue that people yeah. encounter. And it worked well until I got married, and then it 
cause a lot of problems. Yeah. Yeah, I think many people are going to lean into this next question because it affects all of us as human beings. It's just part of being on this earth. Uh, You mentioned a choice that you outline is choosing to let go of old baggage. And Jan, I think uh, this was especially difficult for you, even though we've heard Ron's letting go of some of that baggage. How has your past affected your uh, marriage? I think it impacted it a lot. As I said, I being controlled was kind of normal for me. I didn't know something different um, and pleasing somebody. So and you that were was my... pretty much always controlled by your own parents, right? Yeah, my dad, okay. pretty much. Do you think that helped you make a decision to marry Ron because you saw that in him? Yeah. And it was I, I don't think I saw that in him. Okay. I didn't really realize it until after we were married. And then it was like, oh, I married my dad. But in a good way for many, because people, there's so many wonderful qualities about him. He's an amazing person. That was just a part that we needed to work on. And I really didn't do my part in holding him accountable and saying, no, I'm going to go and be with my friends. And well, Jan, in fact, in the book, I think you position it as blaming yourself, which can I say this so that women can hopefully release this? Women are so quick to look at their own selves. Yes. And sometimes that's good. But yes. sometimes it can become unhealthy, and that's what you're yes. describing. Uh, it was if very unhealthy. If you're always unhealthy. blaming yourself, that's not the no, right spot. that's not good. And baggage is what kind of weighs you down. And when you unpack it, it stays in the marriage, and you use that as a crutch. And so un- getting rid of that baggage yeah. and really looking at it, it helps so much. Well, speak for a moment to those deep patterns that we learn as children Mm -hmm. and then how we you know manifest those as adults this is you know almost compulsive behavior it's hard to grab a hold of that and when you have that thought to grab it captive just like the word talks about to take that captive so it doesn't come out of our mouth as james talks about the power of the tongue so what Mm -hmm. discipline have you applied self-discipline to change those things. I had a student, I'm a professor up at Denver Seminary, I had a student ask me that exact question maybe a year or so ago. Because they what wanted a bright to know, student he yeah, is. Very good student, <laughs> very good student. And part of the answer was, you can't start by trying to change your entire life. You can't just say, I'm going to be different tomorrow. Wow, that's We're all good. Done. You have to start with a small choice and say, so what could I do today that would lead me to make a selfless choice or an unselfish choice as compared to a selfish choice? So it might be something like, Okay, you said you wanted to play softball. I'm talking to the guys out there. They assume they have a softball game, so they should just go play softball. But they don't ask their wife whether the wife would take care of the kids that night. They just assume, oh, it'll be fine. She wants to go out with the girls, and there's like some permission needed. That's a power issue. That's not okay. Everybody right, one say, needs permission, the other doesn't. Yeah, yeah. It, it should be a matter of saying, so how can I serve you today? What would you like to do tonight so you could really get closer to God? If you want to go to Bible study, I'll take care of the kids. But more of the time... You look at people's schedules. I have the couples I work with. I'm a marriage therapist. I have the couples pull out their planners, and you'll see everybody in there. You'll see their job, their dog, some guy named Frank. I mean, everybody shows up in their schedules, but their own names don't show up in each other's schedule because hmm. they don't plan time. They don't think about the week and say, when are we going to be married this week? So one of the choices I try to make with Jan is to say, today, when are we going to be married today? That is so good. And it's great, you know, um, especially when you know that person is thinking about you and really cares about what you may want to do, which was such a change um, in our marriage because it was always, what did he want to do? If he wanted barbecue and I wanted Mexican, we would go get barbecue. 
And now in he's like, days. in the old days. And now he's like, where do you really want to go? And I'm like, I feel like I can say that. I mean, it's a simple thing, but it really impacts your life in other ways. Well, I'm with you. Let's go get Mexican food. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good to me. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. If the fights with your spouse have become unbearable, if you feel like you can't take it anymore, there's still hope. Hope Restored Marriage Intensives have helped thousands of couples like yours. Our biblically-based counseling will help you find the root of your problems and face them together. Call us at 1-866-875-2915. We'll talk with you, pray with you, and help you find out which program will work best. That's 1-866-875-2915. Hi, Jim Daly here. Today's culture deeply needs help, but in times like these, the light of Christ can shine even brighter. So be encouraged to share His light in this broken world. Listen to the Refocus with Jim Daly podcast. Without time limitations, I'll have deep, heartfelt discussions with fascinating guests who will encourage you to share God's grace, truth, and love. Check out the podcast at refocuswithjimdaily.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. You know, uh, Ron, I wanted to ask you this too. You have a uh, statement or a a descriptor called the Niagara Falls Mm -hmm. analogy that helps couples Mm de-escalate. So often, I mean, even for Gene and I, that's what we need so often is how do I de-escalate this? Because I've said something that obviously has Mm -hmm. triggered her. And uh, sometimes I look for that de-escalation, and sometimes I don't. So speak to that. How do I Niagara fall this in a healthier way? How do I pull back, especially if you want to win in this moment, which is a competitive nature thing, which I do possess. And so, you know, it's about, hey, can, how do I win this argument? Uh-huh. Okay, help me out, Mr. Therapist. You betcha. I'm so glad you asked about that, Jim. This is the single most effective thing I've ever seen in counseling. Oh, this far. is important. It is so amazing. I was in the prison system for many years. Um, I guess not I, in which prison. side? Yeah. Not in prison. As a psychologist, qualify. I was not an inmate. I guess okay. I should explain that for your <laughs> listeners. Yes, I got it. But prison I worked years. with a lot of Just inmates kidding. with a lot of anger problems, yeah. and I met a guy named Bill Fleeman who was doing work on on Niagara Falls, looking at how that affected anger. And I said, "Man, can I use this for marriage?" And afterwards, his organization let me use this with marriage couples. And what I do is, have you ever been to Niagara Falls? I have. Big waterfall, lots yeah. of water. My Canadian friends want to make sure I say the Canadian side is prettier. So <laughs> it's just probably so say, true. Probably actually. true. <laughs> but what most people don't do is go back up river about two or three miles. It's calm. It's peaceful. You can get in and out of the water. You can make choices about what you want to do. As you get closer to the falls, when we've been there, it was, you know, you have a roaring sound of the water. There's like a sign on the side saying, hey, you in the barrel, get out, that kind of thing, right? And then you get close, there's even a cable trying to save people. Well, but the pace picks up. Yeah, there's a point of no return. And this was what happened with the inmates I worked with, where two days before in the lunch line, when someone elbowed them, they could make a different choice. When they're down on the rec yard with a shank trying to stab somebody, it's too late to make a different choice. They've already made their call. They're over the they're falls. They're over the falls. And so with couples, I say, I ask them to make four lists. I ask the husband to make a list about how he knows when he's okay and when he's not okay. I ask the wife to make a list about how she knows when he's okay or not okay. Because sometimes uh, our wife or our husband knows a lot more about how okay we are than we do, right? And then I ask the wife to make a list about the husband and about herself. These four lists give you all sorts of ideas of how you know things aren't okay, and I ask them to rank order them. What they do then is they use these lists, 
And I have some couples that have had a huge picture laminated of Niagara Falls up in their kitchen wall. And they just identify, what are our warning signs? When are we getting close to the falls? When are we getting anxious or upset or angry or frustrated? And they choose to make choices way upriver before they go over the falls. Yeah, those are, in essence, the cable, the safety cables. That's right. No, that's, that's really right. good. In fact, you have 10 rules uh, for positive communication. And, John, we'll post those at the good website. Yeah. Excellent. But give me a couple of those. I mean, you mentioned one or two, but what's... Uh... So, for example, nothing good tends to happen in communication after 9 p.m. <laughs> that's close to okay. the be home by midnight. Right? There's nothing good happens yeah, after midnight. Yeah, applicable in my home. <laughs> <laughs> right. When couples, uh, John, you know, if, if a couple starts talking about a conflict at 930 when they're both tired, the kids just went to bed, it's not going to go well. Another would be if, if you think about bringing up the past, you know, the great pancake incident of 2012 or whatever, <laughs> you know, just let it go. Don't bring up the past and bring in new stuff. So I think the rules have a lot to do with being fair in your communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you say there's something called unspoken truths and that they can be a silent killer in marriage. What do you mean by that? This is all the things that you know about your wife right now that you believe to be true and you're fairly certain that you really can't talk you out of it. Um, you believe, for instance, something like, you kind of are a lazy person. Or someone else thinks, my husband cares more about work than me. Or maybe, uh, you really probably are going to think of yourself before me most times. It's the unspoken truths that are what in scientific world would be called givens. They drive everything else. Because they're assumptions that are so powerful, they form the basis of what you choose. One of Jan's assumptions was that she wasn't worthwhile enough to stand up for herself and be treated the way she deserved to be treated. And so she kind of took my inappropriate, ridiculous, immature behavior for many years. Uh, we call it learned helplessness. You guys ever remember the old sure. animal experience? Yeah. They'd shock the dogs. Dogs would jump. Dogs come back down. Eventually, the jo- dogs lay down and they say, you can shock me, but you can't make me jump. Right. I'm and done jumping. Yeah. And, and that's... I think that was kind of what it was like for you. It's like, why bother trying? He's not going to listen. Yeah, and sometimes, especially um, when I would bring something that was not f- like money or something, and he could kind of explode out of that. Why did you spend that? Or those kind of things. And those became my unspoken truth. So I'm not going to talk to him about money because it usually comes back on me. Mm-hmm. So you'd hide. Hide it, yeah. Emotionally. Yeah. yeah. And then, you yeah. know, you buy something, you stick it in your closet in the back and bring it out. And he'd be like, oh, is that new? No, it's been in my closet for a while. You know, because I knew that mm-hmm. if I told him, he might react ne- so negatively. And I already felt bad maybe about buying it. So unspoken truth can really be strangle your marriage. Okay. So a woman is going, oh, that's exactly where I'm at today. Mm-hmm. What do you do to change that trajectory? How do you work up the courage to say, we need a different way of doing this? We need a budget, whatever it might be. How do you go about doing that? I think if you can agree as a couple, even if you're not going to make changes immediately, just to say it out loud, um, there's a way you can do this. You can say something like, my husband always, or I wish my wife wouldn't, and fill in the sentence and show it to each other and say, I don't know how we can work on this, but I want to say it out loud. I want to let God know. I want to let you know. This is not okay. And maybe you can even say, how does this work with the kind of man Christ called you to be? Is this consistent? Just throw a little guilt trip in there. you know. And this is not the kind of thing, Ron, that a couple should just spring on each other, right? I mean, I shouldn't go home tonight and say, hey, I was thinking about things that you shouldn't do anymore, and here's my list. <laughs> yeah, let's not start there. <laughs> right? I mean, the context is very important here. If they were going to start, I'd start with, here's some things I've learned about myself that I want to do differently. Oh, that's good. 
Let's share an example first and then say, and maybe if you have some time, it'd be great if you think of some things that maybe could be better for you on your side of the street. And we're right at the end, but I do want to grab that that question for that spouse who's saying, I'm pretty good. I'm in a good spot. I'm all right. But it's my spouse. That guy, he's this, he's that. How does that spouse, and it doesn't have, you know, just put it in a generic term, but mm-hmm. how does that person make that turn to not amplify the spouse's negatives and amplify their righteousness? I can only speak for myself. I had to look directly in the mirror hear what God was saying, what God's taught me to be, what the Bible tells me to be, and see the discrepancy between what I'm called to be and who I am. And you have to be honest with yourself and God and say, I can't keep living this way because this isn't who you've called me to be. Yeah. Ron and Jan, thank you so much again for your transparency and for your willingness to uh, be here. Love the book, love the content, and love the way you guys interact. It's refreshing. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. What a great conversation we had with Ron and Jan Welch on today's Focus on the Family. And I really appreciated the reminder that we have the power to strengthen our marriages just through little everyday choices. Yeah, Ron and Jan really hit it. Uh, Simple choices can make a huge difference in our relationships, particularly in our marriages. Uh, It's all about intentionally loving each other every day. And, you know, something that is constantly on our hearts here at Focus is helping you have a thriving Christ-centered marriage. That's why we bring you programs like this one. But with growing economic challenges in our nation and a barrage of unhealthy messages from the culture, more and more marriages are in trouble. Uh, You can help husbands and wives, just like yourself, redeem their marriages through our Hope Restored Marriage Intensives. Yeah, Dina and I attended one of those retreats a few years ago and uh, really had some terrific practical help that we still use today. It really has changed our marriage. Uh, Those marriage retreats are led by highly qualified marriage counselors and uh, allow couples to really concentrate on the relationship and work through their issues. And it works. Uh, We go back to those couples two years later and do a survey with every one of them, and uh, more than 80% of those participants are still married two years later and uh, point to their Hope Restored experience that it improved their marriage and that they were satisfied. Mm -hmm. So that's a great uh, scorecard, I believe. 80% of those marriages saved, in essence. Mm -hmm. Currently, we're hosting couples in Missouri, Georgia, and Michigan. And because these intensives are so successful, we're aiming to open other strategic locations across the country. We've just launched a program in Arizona and soon in Texas. So my goal is that we can get 40,000, 50,000 couples through this program, and we will put a dent in the divorce rate for Christians. So I want to ask you to help us. In addition to Hope Restored, your support allows Focus on the Family to continue providing resources like this broadcast, podcast, counseling, uh, print and online materials, mentor training, special events, and so much more. $30 saves a marriage through our Hope Restored Marriage Intensives and other resources. But really, any amount is going to help. A little bit from a lot of people covers the bills. In fact, when you donate today, we'll send you a copy of the book that we discussed, 10 Choices Successful Couples Make the Secret to Love That Lasts a Lifetime, as our way of saying thank you for joining us and helping to save marriages and so much more. Join us today. 
And through a matching opportunity provided by generous friends who care about marriages, uh, your gift will be doubled to impact twice as many marriages today. So please donate generously and get your copy of 10 Choices Successful Couples Make online at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break here and then return with another faith-building program for your family. Stay tuned. It's time to level up. Give your kids a safe, faith-focused, and biblically-based community, and so much more. Join the Adventures in Odyssey Club. Club members get on-demand access to the exciting Adventures in Odyssey series, including more than 900 episodes. With faith-building activities, parental controls, and a safe online community, the Adventures in Odyssey Club could be your best adventure yet. Learn more and start your free trial at adventuresinodyssey.com slash radio. If you're going to have the rules, you also have to have fun time, that you need that relationship with your child, that you have to ask yourself, are there times that I'm actually having fun with my child? Like, do we laugh together? Do we smile together? Do, you know, if I was my child and I had to look at my face all day long, you know, would I be afraid? Or would I be okay with this? And for a parent, you need to ask this question because it's true. You do need the rules, but you must have the relationship or those rules don't mean a thing. Our guest today on Focus on the Family is Arlene Pellicane, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller. John, we all want to uh, do the very best for our children. Best schools, the best sports program. You want the honor student uh, bumper sticker and all those good things. We're trying hard to help our kids, not so much to have the advantage, but to give them every opportunity to do well in this life. And I think that's admirable. Uh, but God called us as parents to train up the next generation in a spiritual context, to stand for what's right, um, to instill character and provide discipline that goes along with that uh, parenting journey. And most of all, it's to teach our children about him so that they can live a long and good life before the Lord. Here at Focus on the Family, we want to help you do that. That's our main goal, is to give you those tools to do that job as best as you can. And that's one of the reasons we've invited back uh, Arlene Pellicane. She joins us today as we talk about uh, Parents Rising, Eight Strategies for Raising Kids Who Love God, Respect Authority, and Value What's Right. I can't wait to get into this. And Arlene is such a popular guest. We always have a tremendous response when she's here, and we just personally enjoy interviewing her. Uh, she and her husband, James, have three children. We've had them here in the studio at various <laughs> times. Right. Taking pictures. They and like it here. They are good kids, too, and the family lives in San Diego, California. Arlene, welcome back to Focus on the Family. So good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Arlene, uh, you share a great story about a young girl um, at your children's elementary school, mm-hmm. I think it was. Um, what did she say that made you realize there's a problem with yeah. the way kids are uh, treating adults these days? <laughs> I was volunteering, and we were going to play a relay race, which sounds fun enough, and sure. the kids were supposed to get in line. And I saw a volunteer say, please get in line, and a little third grader say, make me. And oh, yeah. And I thought, 
make me? Can you imagine if your grandmother was at school and said, make me? You know, there is no such thing that did not happen in previous generations. Them are fighting words. Them are fighting words. (laughs) So that really made me think, what has made this kind of attitude, this boldness in children that they feel okay saying those kinds of things? And so I have experienced this, and I'm sure many of our listeners have seen this bold change. Maybe you're in education, and you see it in your classroom. You're a mom or dad. You see it in your home. (laughs) And so that's what really made me think, I want to address this in parents rising, that as parents, we've got to rise up to show that, hey, this is not right. You need to respect authority. And that's something worth teaching our children. Well, that's a great point. Uh, Let's get to the basics, though. Why do kids have that sense of entitlement? What Mm -hmm. is making that happen? Are we doing it as parents? We are are kind of guilty of this. So we can say, oh, it's the culture around them. It's social media. It's the music, that popular music. Everything out there is destroying my child. And yes, we live in an ungodly culture. But you know, you look at these people like Daniel and the Babylonian culture, I'm sure that was a lot harder to live back then than it is now. So my heart is let's not blame the culture for what has happened to children. Let's look at our families. And can my children respect me? And let's start there. And so I think for parents, it is this idea that maybe in generations past, the parent was really big and the child was really teeny. So now we've made the child super big and the parent really teeny. Oh, that's fascinating. And we've got to swing that pendulum back to that balance of, of course, child, you are to be heard and loved, respected, cherished. But I am the parent. And I'm the leader here and not the other way around. Uh, In the book, you talk about eight key strategies. We're not going to be able to cover them all. Certainly, you all can get a copy of the book here at Focus on the Family. Help us to do great ministry along with uh, getting a tool to help you do better parenting. But let's take a a look at some of them. Let's Mm -hmm. go ahead and give us the eight, and then I'm going to come back and pick two or three. Sounds great. The first strategy is amusement is not the highest priority. Your life does not have to revolve around entertaining your child with a cell phone. I'm guilty. (laughs) Number two is parents call the shots. You are the leader, not your child. Number three is routine and boundaries provide security. Number four is the Bible and prayer are present daily. So not just on Sundays and then we live like every other family on the block, but you see this woven into the fabric of our lives. You see the Bible, you hear us pray. Number five is marriage takes a front seat that, you know, when kids come into the picture, the marriage can go in the trunk for 18 years. And so bring that marriage back as a priority relationship. Some people are saying, ouch, when <laughs> yes. they hear that, because it's so true. Right. And it's easy to fall into that one. We'll come back to that. Yep. And number six is good food served on the table. So the food of conversation around a table and then nutritional food. So we're not living on chips and soda. (laughs) And uh, number seven is love is spelled T-I-M-E. And it's that good old time that you Mm -hmm. need to spend with your kids. And then number eight is launching adults, not babying children, that it's not our job to keep them for life. It's our job to send them off for life. When you said that at first, I was thinking the kids are launching the parents, yeah. launching adults. <laughs> launching them kids. to who knows where. Yeah. Good job, kids. Way to launch your parents. <laughs> you mean it the other way. Uh, the other way That's around. funny. Well, let's look at number two. Uh, parents call the shots. I'm just picking some here. Yeah. Again, if I'm not touching on the ones you're interested in, Get Arlene's book or come to the website. We'll post the eight there and you can take a look at the definitions. But parents calling the shots, that can sound autocratic. Um, Describe for us what you mean by that. Give us a couple of illustrations of how that works. This is so 
so simple. If we can just simply get Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents, and we just get that. And it's what the Word of God says. It is the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother so that it will go well with you in the land that you're living. And so this is how God has set it up. So even if we are more comfortable being on an equal plane, being a best friend, being, you know, your supporter and your buddy, if that, you know, but the Bible's telling us you are the authority figure. And that authority figure doesn't have to be this mean, strict, you know, awful. No, this is an authority figure that is loving, that's providing guidance. Because I think many of us as parents, we want to be chummy chummy instead of saying, I'm not afraid to be unpopular to make decisions that I know are good for you. Yeah. You know, so that whole idea of honor and bringing that back. Yeah. Um, you mentioned in your book about honor as we're talking and the importance of kids honoring their parents, which is definitely mm-hmm. a biblical concept. This may be one of the more difficult attributes, and you've touched on it, mm-hmm. but how can we teach that on a regular basis yeah. that doesn't maybe involve uh, demotion? You know, Dana Gresh took a look at my book, Parents Rising, and she wrote this endorsement. And in it, she said, the kingdom of God is not a democracy. And so we have to learn how to bow to a king. And in the same way, I'm not saying your kids have to bow to you or worship you. No, but your kids have to learn there is an order to life. There is There are people above you to be honored. And that begins with parents. Those are teachers. Those are police officers. Those are people in public office, you know, people that you honor, that you respect. And so it starts at home. And Mm -hmm. if your kid, whether they're two or they're 12 or they're 18, they cannot give you honor as parent, respecting you, saying, you know, we always tell our children, you don't have to agree with us, but you must respect us. You know, you can't call us names. And so we talk through that because that's not honoring, that's not respectful. So it's something you can teach your children and then really insist upon it, that you have to talk to me this way. And whether it's a husband saying, you can't talk to my wife that way, you know, to the kids or vice versa. So stick up for each other as a married couple and make sure your children are talking to you in the right way. Well, that's good. It's good stuff. Here's the question of the day. Okay. You ready, John? I'm dialed This is in. it. The question of the day. How can we encourage obedience. That's right. It's like, I want them to honor me. How do I get them to honor me? Yeah, right? right? How do yeah. I actually get yeah. them to believe I have seniority in this relationship? So in the book, I outline four ways to help your kids obey. And I will say the overarching principle here is the belief that you are worthy of obeying. You know, if you're second guessing yourself, well, maybe they shouldn't obey me. I'm not a really good parent. Maybe I don't know what I'm doing. So it has to begin with you realizing I am to be honored. I am to be obeyed because I'm a parent. And of course, as a parent, you're trying to strive for them to obey you on good things, on good, healthy things for them. So first of all, you can set up clear expectations. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they don't know to obey because they simply don't even know what they're doing. So before you go to grandma's house, you say... These are the things we expect. We expect that you're not going to run through the house because grandma and grandpa don't like that. We expect that you will not fight because grandma is 80 and that will really bother her. So don't this fight with each other. This sounds like real do life. That, do that in the car beforehand. You know, I've had my kids like be really loud in the car. And I'm, what are you doing? We're getting ready for grandma. <laughs> so like, okay. So you're setting up your kids to succeed 
in a new situation, we're going to a new Sunday school class. There will be strangers there. You won't know anyone. And I just want you to look for one person, smile at them, and befriend them. You know, so you're giving them expectations them. and yeah. have them obey that. The second thing is practice, practice, practice. So let's say you're having trouble in the grocery store because they're loud or they, you know, want they're real whiny about what they want, etc. You go to the grocery store just for practice. Not to get the stuff on your list, but just to practice. This is how we go to the grocery store and when they throw their fit, oh, we're leaving. And, and you know, go. and there's a punishment there and yeah. maybe if they did it well, it would be, hey, you get to pick something out because you did really well in the grocery store. Yeah. So you're practicing. The third thing is drama. So some of your kids love drama. And so it <laughs> yes. is the idea of, you know, okay, it's the first day of school. Let's act this out. This is how I'm the teacher. This is how you and use drama to act out. This is how oh, that you kind of act. drama. Yeah. I thought yeah. you were saying not kids the, are just not drama. The other yeah. drama. So physically use drama. Yeah. I'm your teacher. You're in a new school setting. Here's what we do. Here's what we expect of you to obey. And then the last may be the most powerful, and it's praying specifically, God. Give my child an obedient heart. Yeah. Give my child a moldable heart, a heart that seeks wisdom, a heart that seeks knowledge. God, give them that. And those are ways you can help your child be obedient to you. Mm-hmm. Arlene, I want to make sure that we balance this with, I'm thinking of, we could just pick a stereotypical situation, maybe the overbearing father, to leave it in that kind of category. Certainly moms can be that way as well. How do we recognize in ourselves that we're, we're not loving our children we're only about the rules. We're only confrontational. We're only demanding. Um, sometimes we can feel a little bit of guilt in that area, especially if you're in the heat of battle there trying to get your kids to be obedient. And then you feel guilty, like I was over the top. Um, how, how do you know when you are too consistently over the top? And for that parent who's listening, that the book title may be better parents smiling <laughs> like yeah. you need to be more relaxed yeah, not you know, rising most, but <laughs> most parents many parents they err towards being too gracious to their kids but for the parents that you know like wow i'm maybe too strict and that comes that strategy that love is spell time that if you're going to have the rules you also have to have fun time that you need that relationship mm. with your child that you have to ask yourself are there times that i'm actually having fun with my child like do we laugh together mm-hmm. do we smile together do you know if i was my child and I had to look at my face all day long, you know, would I be afraid or would I be okay with this? And for a parent, you need to ask this question because it's true. You do need the rules, but you must have the relationship or those rules don't mean a thing. So you need both and there has to be time for fun and levity because that paves the way for the rules. I don't think anybody has coined a better phrase than Josh McDowell with that. The rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Absolutely. And that's a great formula for parents to remember. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Clubhouse is really edifying in every part of it. A resource that supports your values. We subscribe to other magazines and every once in a while there will be a story that questions a parent's authority or kids behave in a way that I don't like. And we never have that problem with Clubhouse. I can trust it. Learn more about Focus on the Family Clubhouse and Focus on the Family Clubhouse Junior Magazines at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Club Radio. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. And Arlene, uh, kind of 
following that train of thought we were just talking about, strategy number three is how to get them, your kids introduced to rules and boundaries in the family. How are we going to do that? How do we start talking to the kids about rules? And this is the expectation. My husband, when he was young, he had this little poodle named Fluffy. Sweet Fluffy knew where she could go in the house, that the linoleum was her territory and the other parts weren't. And James had this thought, like, if a dog can be trained where to go, surely my baby, and, you know, as they grow up, can know where to go too. So we put the blue painting tape across the line of the kitchen when our baby started crawling. And when baby Ethan would come to the tape, we would stop. And we would do in sign language, no. And we'd look very harsh and very mean. And we'd say no. And he got that really fast. Like, this blue line means no. So he would trot right up to the blue line, crawling baby, and stop. Now, when our kids were like a circus show, when our <laughs> friends came over and we'd show them the blue line, they'd say, no way, no way. And then the baby really stopped. They're like, that's ridiculous. And then they said, wait till your child starts walking. That blue line will not stop your walking child. But James has that stubbornness, that parents rising stubbornness of like, oh no, my child will, can do that. And so when (laughs) Ethan got bigger, he'd stop right on a dime. He'd walk right up to that blue line and he knew the kitchen was out of bounds for him. And when he turned about three or four, we took off the blue tape and we said, you are now free to enter the kitchen. And he did it. And why could he do that? Because we had this expectation that this is your boundary. We enforced it, you know, when he was a baby. So when he was a baby, he learned, I'm not supposed to do this. And it just carried over. It just stuck with him. And so with your kids, just know they're really never too young or too old to learn the new boundaries you'd put into place. Maybe the new boundary is, hey, your cell phone is being charged in my room overnight (laughs) instead of your room overnight to your teenager. And that's a new boundary, and you can enforce that. And to young kids, you can teach them more than you think. Think of this little baby (laughs) and the blue line. Your kids can do more than you think, and you can enforce boundaries early, and it makes your life easier as they grow up. All right, strategy seven, love is spelled time. You've mentioned it three or four times. Be specific. People talk quantity, quality. Uh, you're counseling me as a parent, what should I be aware of? So you know how kids do all these activities, right? You're in sports, you're in ballet, you go to all these things. And so parents, but our time is like chauffeur time a lot or just sitting on the (laughs) sideline time. So we Pelicans are a little strange. So we thought if we're going to spend time doing an activity, let's do it all together. And so it began because our daughter, Noelle, when she was in elementary school, my husband saw a boy like pull her arm. And when he saw that, he was like, my girl needs to learn martial arts, like something like clicked in his mind. And so before I knew it, we were all in martial arts together, all wearing matching dragon t-shirts, parents (laughs) included. And we as parents joined the kids class, which they allowed us to do. So it was like 20 kids and James and I in the back row. And we, my friends, have done this for five years. And it is because we believe in love is spelled T-I-M-E. So find an activity that you like together. So many families, we watch each other do stuff, but we don't do anything together. And believe me, this is a stretch. I am so non-athletic. You know, 
I took bowling for my college sport, you know, so it's like, I am not, I am exactly, we're good, but, event you know, right obviously there. I am not this amazing athlete, and so we have done biking, we've done rollerblading, skiing, whatever, all these things to be together as a family. It could be chess, it could be board games, it could be sitting at the library together, it could be learning how to cook together, but choose an activity where you can spend time, because that's really good for boys. Boys don't want to just like sit no. and like talk to you, like let's have <laughs> coffee and talk. Even your face you know, right there. Like, like, what what boy wants to do that? But a boy will bike with you. A boy will fish with you. Board games. A boy will do a board game we with you. We do a you. lot of board yeah. games. So pick things that your family can do together so that you are actually spending time because that communicates so much love to them. Here's one I want to spend a little time with because I think launching your kids, mm-hmm. you know, I... I don't like the formulaic kind of connotation of it, but you can do some things that will enhance uh, the outcome. Doesn't guarantee it. You can do everything right. Yep. Mom and dad, I'm telling you, you don't beat yourself up Mm -hmm. if the child chooses a different path. And I get that. But your strategy eight, launching adults, not babying children, Uh, talks about that. We've all heard the term helicopter parent, and we've got all kind of mower, lawnmower parent, what have you. I don't know what that one is, but you know it gets closer and closer, I guess. What are you driving at there, and yeah. how do we launch effectively? Yeah, it's the idea that don't do for your kids what they can do for themselves. So you don't have to pack your lunch for your eighth grader. You don't have to do laundry for your high schooler. You don't have to do those things. They can do that themselves. You used to talk about the lawnmower, the mower. So my husband, James, was teaching Ethan how to mow the lawn. You know, he's upper elementary school. is teaching him how to mow the lawn. And so I go around the corner, and I see Ethan struggling with a big grass bag trying to put it in our yard waste. And I just see him struggling, struggling. Oh, Ethan, I'll help you. And I pull open the waste bucket so he can do it, right? James comes around the corner. What are you doing? I said, I'm helping Ethan. No, 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 no. Don't help Ethan. And I'm like, why can't I help Ethan? Come to find out, James had just had this talk with him saying, (laughs) you can do this. You just have to prop open the lid and then you dump the grass in. You can do this. You got this. You can do this. And then, of course, he finds that mom is hovering fixing it, right? Doing the lawns. It was so funny. So a man will look at that and say, my son is becoming a young man, right? And then we moms can say, oh, look at the poor baby. He needs mommy. He needs mommy to lift up the trash can for him, you know? And so the roles can be reversed, but oftentimes there is a person, usually the mom, that is like, oh, let me get this for you. You know, let me help you. And of course you want to help your children, but when we hover too much, and we do too much. You know, I think kids have cell phones, not just for the kids, but for the parents, because we want to know where is our child, what is happening. You know, we send our child, 13 years old, two miles on his bicycle without a cell phone to school every day, and he does just fine. Why do we do that? Because we want to teach him like self-reliance. You know, my husband would say, I'd go on my bike everywhere when I was a kid. If I got a flat tire, I had to figure it out. I had to learn how to fix that. And that's what our son will do. You know, and that's so foreign in this day and age where mom and dad come in and we swoop in and we rescue everything. And moms and dads, we have to calm down. We got to let our kids 
figure stuff out on their own. All right. Let's uh, move to ROBS. You've got an acronym, mm-hmm. uh, ROBS. What is it? And let's touch on a couple of them. The idea here is just finding out what those values are that are important to your family. So as you launch those adults, what do you want your kids to remember mm-hmm. from your home? And so we took this from Coach Lou Holtz and kind of That's changed pretty good. it. Yeah, we figured that was a good source. This is what he would teach his players. He would teach his players. So the R stands for right. Do what's right. The O stands for do unto others. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. The B stands for do your best. You know, work with excellence. And the S is smile. Like go through life and smile at other people. So as you go through life and we're launching these adults, you can talk about it. You know, so something happened at school. Well, did you do the right thing? Did you think of others? Did you do your best? Did you try for excellence? And were you smiling? Were you pleasant, kind? So it just helps them guide that this is... These are the values mm. that are important to us as a family. And so you can talk about that as a family. When your child leaves your nest, what are the things that, oh, that's what that's what a daily would do. That's what a fuller yeah. would do. You know, what are those things that you want your family to be known for? Yeah. Um, the big question at the end here is why is failure so important? What does it teach us? And there are so many biblical references to this. I don't think you can find a strong character in the Bible that did didn't go through failure or through a valley. Let's just think of King David. Yeah. Uh, but there's so many others. Almost every person that God uses, he brings through a difficult time to teach them and train them. And why should it be any different for our children? I think what we have to concentrate on here is resiliency. So after the failure happens, how do we respond? You know, I have one of my children, and they are such an amazing child, but once they signed my name on a field trip thing because they'd forgotten to do it and it was due, so they just scribbled my name. But when the teacher asked my child, Mm -hmm. did you do this or did your mother do it? She got really nervous and said, my mother did it. And the teacher knew that was not right. right. And so that was a huge thing. And then restoring trust with that teacher who says, I always trust you, but in this instance, you were not honest. But I tell you what, that failure episode taught my child a lot, taught my child that you can find forgiveness and reconciliation because they totally reconciled with their teacher, taught that I can bring my failure to my parent and my parent will not freak out, you know, I had my child write a very detailed letter of apology to that teacher, but that was what happened after that. And there was understanding. We didn't speak of it again. I don't think I don't think the other siblings know about it until now. Arlene reveals until all. I say it. <laughs> Sorry. You know. So, you know, have your children realize they're not mm. gonna do everything perfectly and that's okay. And if you don't make the team, that's all right. Because yeah. you know, don't go in there as a parent saying, Why didn't my kid make the team? My kid's the best one out there. You better put my kid in there. Wow, no, there is so much of that. Let mm. your kid fail so that when they're an adult and they don't get chosen for the promotion, they can handle that. Yeah. When they ask the girl for the date and she says no, they can handle that. Yeah. It's very important to teach your children failure. So they can succeed later in life. And that's good. And sometimes you do it well as a parent, and sometimes you swing and you miss. And I remember Troy, he did that. He went out for a basketball team. There were like 40 guys going out for 12 spots. And first night, he, he was feeling good. He, yes. came, he got back in the car and he said, <laughs> I made it, Dad, because they cut you know 20 kids that night. And I knew the second night was going to be a little more difficult. And he went, and I was anticipating he may not make it. He jumps in the car, and he's a little quieter than the night before. I asked, you know, how'd you do? Did you make it? He said, no, nah, they 
they cut me. But he said, I was really glad I got this far. Good for him. So it was See, good. That's, that's really a good, good response. It's and I absolutely. said, well, just, you know, you got to learn in the off season mm-hmm. here, shoot some hoops and then maybe try again next time. And so that's a great phrase, isn't it? After failure, learn in the off season. Right. So you didn't get it, but there's a lot to learn in the off season. And it's so true. And, you know, we live in such a wonderful country that if you apply yourself, mm-hmm. really apply yourself, you really can do almost anything. And the Lord will open doors to you. Arlene, this has been terrific. It's flown by Parents Rising, that movie near you. (laughs) (laughs) Parents Rising. But uh, what a great book and what terrific uh, material for parents to help that resiliency, Mm -hmm. uh, developing that resiliency in your children. Um, That is so good. If you can make a, a gift to focus on the family, we'll say thank you by sending it along to you. If you can't afford it, contact us anyway. We'll have friends that I hope will underwrite the cost of that. But Arlene, it's been great having you back. Thanks so much for having me. And stop by our website to make a generous donation and get resources like Arlene's book, Parents Rising, and a CD or download of this broadcast at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Or call 1-800-the-letter-A-and-the-word-family and we'll tell you more. Well, on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here at Focus on the Family, thanks for listening. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back next time as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ. As a parent, it's easy to find myself sitting backseat to my kids in the back seat. It's tough to be a step ahead. and full honesty, I'm pretty hard on myself when that happens. But I've found Practice Makes Parent, a podcast from Focus on the Family, hosted by Dr. Danny Huerta and Rebecca St. James. It helps me be more intentional and not feel alone when things get tough. Everything they share is practical and well-practiced, and I can use it right away. Listen to Practice Makes Parent wherever you get your podcasts.